0: Um, I do have a request, if we have time, that after we have this teaching, if we have time, could we sing this song again? I think it'll be. It was perfect. In fact, I'm glad I'm up here not blubbering (laughs) before I teach. Um, Can we just go to the Lord and let me pray over us just a moment? And so Father, as we come into your presence, we still our hearts and our minds. We are just in awe of you. And your word is so precious and you have so much that you want to teach us. And that is done by your spirit. And so, Lord, the one request I lay before you is that as your word is taken by your spirit to our hearts, that we will love you even more after this lesson. Thank you for doing that in my heart. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' high and holy name, amen. So, back in March am I too loud or okay I don't mean to blast your ears so you can hear me everybody can everybody hear okay hey hey so in early march the lord stirred my heart to spend time with him in five chapters of john john 4, 13 14 15, 16, and 17. And as he drew me to that, I just wanted to get a perspective of what that last night in the upper room was like. I wanted to be a fly on the wall and just absorb everything. Not just read it, but just for it to be taken so into my heart as he planted the word deeply in me so that i could see what it was like from the disciples' perspective of being with jesus and what it was like for jesus to feel his heart before he was going to leave them and go face the inevitable he knew his hour had come the shadow of the cross was there before him in plain view. And so, on the early part or in the early part of March, I, start, I set out and I thought, by Easter, I'll have gone through these chapters and this is going to be my gift back to you, Lord, for Easter. And Easter this year was June 17th. And Easter came and Easter went and I was still lingering in these chapters. I could not leave them. He just held me captive with them. So I still am. I don't want to leave. I want to keep the stirring that he's given me of being in this chapter in these chapters. And it was an experience to me, kind of like we we are familiar with Luke's last chapter. When the disciples left Jerusalem the day that um, Jesus was resurrected and it's that recording of the men on the road to Emmaus and Jesus joins them and they said, did not our hearts just burn when he opened the scriptures to us? And that's what has been happening to me and I just pray that some of it can come over to you. And I want to add this phrase, the last words matter. When my husband of 46 years was getting ready to change his earthly address, home address, to his heavenly one, we, ha- we knew that time was very, very near. And our conversations took a, had a different quality about it. I mean, we shared what our lives of 46 years together and raising our family and our deep blessed love for one another. But he was also trying to guide me with his wisdom, his insight, what he wanted me to do. So, I wanted to retain those words forever. I still do. So, last words matter. And that's the way it was with these words from this chapter. Now get this, one-fourth or 25% of John is covered in these five chapters. Chapter 1 through chapter 12 covers the first three years of Jesus' ministry. And then we get to these five chapters And they cover, in essence, a period of what we're going to look back, and within 24 hours, Jesus is going to be hanging on the cross. They had no idea what was ahead for them. And uh, he, though, knowing, was like a coach. Okay, guys, this is the way we're going to play the game. Or like my husband leaving me the words of how to live when he was gone. Jesus had so much that he wanted to talk to just his disciples about. In these five chapters he of course gave the demonstration of how to serve and we're gonna look at that a little deeper. He talked to them about that abiding life. We're familiar with the, the branch and the vines and so he teaches about the fruit that's going to come in that abiding life that we take, but in the context of why he was giving it. He taught them about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to leave you a helper who's just like me. And he's going to teach you and he's going to live in you. And so the, the knowledge of the Holy Spirit come because he was leaving are also in these chapters he had been walking with them but he said now you can go to the father and you can ask him things in my name who I am my character and you can pray to the father in my name so he talked to them about prayer and then the last chapter is one of our favorite chapters John 17 where you get, you and I get to listen to how he prayed over them and us and so they had no idea that what was coming but he also equipped them for having a joy despite the darkest day that would come into their lives so I don't know if you know anything about the discourses of the scriptures there are five of them four of them and a discourse is just a long conversation where Jesus talks to his own And there are times that the crowds huddle around because he's teaching, but basically he's focusing on what he wants those who will follow him to know. So the first one is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And if I could make a plug, if we haven't joined the Ross's discipleship group, they go over this. They've written beautiful material over the Sermon on the Mount. And it is so worth your time and your effort to join them. If you haven't done it this round, be sure to do it if you offer it another time, which we hope you will. So the first one is the Sermon on the Mount. And the second one the second discourse is known as the kingdom parables it's also in Matthew Matthew 13 I believe and Jesus was teaching the kingdom of God is like this the kingdom of God is like that and so what he was doing teaching in parables is those who wanted to follow him he knew that what he taught them would have spiritual significance to them but to the others that would remain uh with hardened hearts and not want to follow him it would just be a story so he was protecting them in a way but deepening those who would follow him and the third one is when it is found in Matthew 24 and 25 he had talked about the fall of the temple and so they're sitting on the uh, on the Mount of Olives and so this is known as the Olivet Discourse and and so as he's predicted what's going to happen to the temple the disciples come to him and say when is when is this going to happen and what are going to be the signs of your coming again and so Jesus taught through two chapters chapters of what the end times would be and then there's this one in John that is the longest most significant discourse to us but it's also mirrored in Mark 13 and Luke 21 and I think the reason we love it is cuz it's just him with those who were closest to him and what he's telling them so it the world's outside but he's huddled together for a very special it evening and Jesus is giving a very intimate discourse in these five chapters with his disciples. So if you would open your Bibles, if you don't have them open to um, John 13, and so let's go to the upper room and let's, let us recline our heads on the chest of our Lord and let him teach us these, of what it was like for these last hours. This was a typical Passover, and they've already spent two other Passovers with the Lord. And the other Gospels uh, cover, the Gospel writers cover what Jesus did by giving the spiritual significance of the blood coming from the wine in his body being symbolized in the bread. In the bread. But John doesn't cover this. But John gives us so much more than the other disciples. Or the other disciples gave. So this is a story that's very familiar to us, but it's oh so precious. So let's read in John thirteen one through four. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world that's us he loved us and them to the end during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him let me stop there would you not die of shame if your name was Simon and the only time that your name was recorded in scripture it was because your son was the one who betrayed the Lord Jesus so John's just kinda slipping this in there for to let us kinda know that this Judas it doesn't really flow till we get further into the chapter but that it was Simon's son Judas Iscariot that would betray him Jesus Knowing the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, rose from supper. Need you to know that that phrase, he knew, knew his hour had come. He knew it before the creation of the world. It wasn't as though the triune God had had straws and they were going to draw which one would come, but Jesus was the one who would come. And so he knew before the foundation. And so I want to take just a little, before we get further into it, a little side trip just thinking on the all-knowingness, the omniscience of our God that he knows everything and I want to address the fact that Judas was the one who would betray him and how Jesus knew this so I'm going to read to you verse 27 and this is after Jesus has said one of you will betray me and they're all going is it I Lord am I the one and old Peter's over there on his side of the table kind of motioning to John find out out who it is And so they're going, Is it I? Is it I? And then he tells them the one that he's going to dip the morsel of bread will be the one who will betray him. So verse 27 says Then after he, Judas, had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. You see, Jesus knew that tomorrow, his tomorrow from this time, that the Jews were going to be slaughtering the Passover lamb. And he, the Passover lamb, was going to be slaughtered. But God is never late. God has a perfect clock and everything is going to happen exactly on the time element that he says. So uh, Judas plays a role, you see, to go do and do quickly what his assignment was so the Lamb of God would be on the cross at the time that the Passover Lamb was going to be slain. So Jesus knew, he knew his hour, had come the literal hour. God is never, never late. Now at Passovers, there's usually the question asked by the youngest child, what makes this night different from other nights? And so, he is going to teach them what's going to be different after he's gone he's going to lay aside his clothing and and bow to serve them and teach them as he does it but judas was going to do quickly and i want to when we um, when we realize what jesus did i want to go back to the first of the chapter that says let's pick up where we left off that he is risen from supper in verse 4 he rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist then he poured water into the basin and began to wash disciples feet and to wash them with a towel that was wrapped around him when I read that section again it reminded me of what we're familiar with in Philippians 2 that says Jesus who was in the form of God did not regard equality a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself taking on the form of a bondservant and becoming a man uh, and becoming in human form and taking on mankind, humbling himself to become obedient to the cross. He was God who emptied himself. So what I did was take these verses and I want to work through a parallel with you of looking at the upper room. It started out in verse 4 that he rose this was an act of his will and his volition and again it wasn't a toss-up between the Trinity he stood to say I'll go I'll take care of the sin I'll pay the price and so he rose that night in the upper room but he had already risen in heaven to do what he need, what he chose to do and then verse 4 says he laid aside his gar- his outer garment and continuing this uh, comparison he laid his his glory of being God aside and it was his prerogative to be deity but he laid it aside And he wrapped himself in a towel, which would mean he wrapped himself in humanity. He put on skin like you and me. And then he poured water into a basin. And in a few hours from when he did that, he was going to pour out his blood, not to wash their feet, but to wash their souls. And then he washed their feet. And I really like this because it goes on to say he dried them, he took the towel. So it wasn't as though they just came in and he dipped their feet in the water and they walked out with dripping feet. And it reminded me that he completed the job that he vowed to do. And can't you hear him on the cross when he said, it is finished. He didn't just do part of the job so their feet being washed they had no idea what was coming but we know what was next what happened next and so as the story goes on we can see him making his way around to the rash self-opinionated Peter and Peter goes Lord aren't you gonna wash my feet no 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 that's just not going to happen never never am I going to let you wash my feet but as Jesus says something Peter changes his mind and Jesus said you don't understand what I'm doing now Peter but the day is coming that you will understand So the day would come after he's hung on the cross that Peter's going to put together all the dots. And so um, there would be on the cross a complete cleansing that is going to be different from the washing of the feet. So um, John also writes in his other first letter, 1 John 1, 7, it says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin and that's what he was pointing to for Peter Peter if I don't do this you'll have no part with me and so he's showing that the blood is going to cleanse him from all sin and that that tense is perfect is present I meaning keep on cleansing forever that deed on the cross the washing the bathing on the cross would go on for all sin so we know in verse 8 that uh, when he said if I don't do it Peter you'll have no part with me and Peter said I love Peter's ill okay Lord okay don't just wash my feet wash my hands my head just wash all of me so Here's a question for you. Raise your hand if you've ever participated in a foot washing time. Keep them high. Okay. You thank you. You probably know that in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, it was necessary. For feet to be washed when they came in the house because of the conditions outside and the lowest servant would meet whoever was coming in with a basin of water and wash their feet and so I have a question to ask you when your feet were washed would you say it was easier to wash the feet or to be a recipient of who was washing your feet which was the hardest? Raise your hand if you say it was easier to be a recipient. Is it easier to be someone washing the feet? Yeah, that's a very humbling experience to say the least. But what I want you to do now is if you would, just close your eyes and keep them closed until I ask you to open them, and with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine Jesus before you, kneeling to wash your feet.
1: Please keep your eyes
0: closed. What would your reaction have been if you had been in the room that night? With your eyes still closed, I want to ask this question. Did you know Jesus still washes feet today? First John, I want to read it to you, 1-9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, open your eyes. and here's the deal most of us at our age understand the difference between being bathed at the cross where our sins are totally forgiven and keep on being forgiven versus the need to go to him and confess our sins and let him cleanse us of the dust of walking in this fallen world and so I want to tell you, spending time with my Lord in these chapters, something beautiful happened in my own walk with Him. And I knew First John 1, 9, and if I did something big, bad, and ugly, I wanted to be right there saying, oh God, I'm so sorry. But this foot washing has made me realize that we walk in a fallen world. Every day, we're out there. And so I have just personally made it a practice of being sensitive and saying, oh Lord, did I just gossip? Did I just bring information to somebody that it does not matter when they know what's going on in this person's life? Please wash my feet. And I picture this scene. Lord, was I a little judgmental on that? Please wash my feet. It's the same thing as John, first John 1 9. And we need to know that there are areas of all our lives that we've just let kind of slide. Some of us have become have, have still a fight with telling the truth and we're liars. Some of us have angers, anger. Some of us are judgmental, and on and on, and guys, I'm gonna hit you with this because I was married to a very strong man, and when we were young, this was one of the ones I think he needed his feet washed a lot about, but I'll just say it out there that when a man has a car, do something out on the road, like get in front of him, I mean you just want to pull up alongside him, them, give him them an ugly look, honk your horn, do all kinds of stuff those are the kind of dirty things that go on as we walk in this fallen world and so you know you know what they are and so I want to go back to Jesus's time of what it was like when people walked on the dirty roads it wasn't just dust I mean there were days that it was rainy and mud would clot and dry on their skin, but they still needed to have that off. There were droppings of animals on their path and no telling what other kind of gunk that they would walk through. So I started thinking on that, and I thought, well, Lord, when they came into that upper room, I almost want to say, I guarantee that when our Lord, who had emptied himself, and robed in humanity, stooped, stooped to wash the feet of even Judas, that there were things crusty on those feet and he probably had to scrub them, but he cleaned them. They all had clean feet when it was over. So that is what I want to leave you with, that we be diligent as we walk in this dusty fallen world that there are other things in the path. some of us have things that haven't really come before the Lord that are crusty and dirty but he just wants to say I love you so much I can do away with that sin I've done away with it on the cross I just want you to be aware so I'd love it if we could sing this song again, but let me just pray that, Lord, as we leave this place and your word in this beautiful section of scripture, that we will be more vigilant of what our walk is. I'm mindful of Peter, the one who was rash and, like always, had so much to say that at the end of his life he spoke these words in his last letter as he was and we are waiting for your return when he said therefore beloved while you are waiting in other words for our time to be with you whether it's our life is over here or if it's when we're snatched up to be with you he says under the inspiration of your spirit be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blemish now Lord I know the men won't get as big a thrill out of thinking of us as a bride but we are your bride and we want to keep our wedding dress without spot and blemish as we wait for you to come We pray this in your precious name. Amen.